The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, welcome this morning. If you're here for the first time, we'd like to welcome you to Mosaic Whittier. We are having conversations regarding uh, soul cravings, and um, so if you're here today, we are in our fifth one of six, and this morning we're going to talk a little bit more about destiny and, and this desire and, and maybe need to know that we have a meaning and a purpose and an intention to our lives, that we're not just an accident, we're not just a, you know, the mistake of our parents in conversations I've had with people over the years, I've discovered a few things. And, and one of the things I've discovered is, is that often that folks who, who, who are not, let's say, they would call themselves spiritual or they would not necessarily call themselves uh, a followers of Jesus, that that level of disbelief is usually not the result of some sort of thought. It was the end result of some action. You know, it's not that they went to university or they went to some school or they were introduced to philosophy or they were introduced to some other author and that kind of convinced them away from believing in God. It's usually something they experience, something very powerful, something very painful, sometimes something very painful. And what happens is that in, in the midst of that experience and what they feel so deeply, they, they, they think, well, then I, I, it, there can't be a God if he allows this. You know, a family member dies of cancer. You know, something happens to you personally. Um, you know, your, your, your dad leaves, your mom for another woman. I mean, and it just, you know, one thing after the other. And, and it's, it's interesting that it, it's not everyone, obviously, but, but the, the vast majority of folks that I have dis- discussed this with, they, they, will, they will point back to a moment when they experienced something so powerfully that they, it pushed them, it just nudged them over a line. They, they could no longer believe in God and process their story and the story of God at the same time. One of them could not be true. And so they left. And what I find is that at that point, it begins to develop then your meta-narrative. It begins to, it begins to be your worldview. And so everything you see, it, it's almost like a pair of glasses. They, they, they filter out everything. It's how you see life. And what's amazing to me, what's interesting to me, I should say, is that folks can see the same event, can see the same set of facts, could, could experience the same story, and have a different reaction. For example, if someone could look at, at nature and, and, and come to the conclusion, oh, it's, it's, it's obviously by chance, it has the appearance of design, but it is not that, it, it, evolution explains so much, and, and it's, in some cases it does. Another person looks at nature, looks at the, at the mysteries of life and, and the body and plants and birds, and says, oh my gosh, of course there's a designer. Or perhaps they, they take a step closer and they say, well, perhaps there's an intelligent design. And this is still very far from the, the idea of the God that we hear about and talk about in our scriptures, but they're inching closer. And what, what, has, what has happened is that, is that you, you, we come to an event, we come to facts, we come to incidents in our lives with our filters, with our glasses, and it's how we process it to make sense of it. Because we are, we are, if nothing else, we, we have to make sense of stuff. We can't let things go with just the mystery. And I think one of the, the hardest but honest things that someone can do is to allow themselves to take them wherever the evidence would lead them. One of the difficult things to do is to allow themselves to experience fully what is happening and not pull back and say, well, this, is, this doesn't fit my, my worldview. This doesn't fit the way I understand how life is supposed to be. And so I, I, this is not real. This is not true. I don't accept it. Anomaly. And it, it takes courage to allow you to, yourself to follow 
wherever the evidence will lead. This is why if, if you're a visitor today, I, I applaud you, because you're coming into a community where the vast majority of people here believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We, we take this book seriously, the scriptures, and, and we believe that a person connects to God through Jesus Christ. And so you walked in here thinking, if there's something here for me, I'm, willing, I'm open to it. And if you're that person, I, I applaud you for being that brave. Because you already have stepped away from the vast majority of folks that refuse even to open up to the possibility that there is something else that we experience in life than just life itself. Back to soul cravings. See, I do think at some level, evolution theory does explain a lot of things. But here's the problem. It just doesn't explain everything. And here's the thing that it doesn't explain. It doesn't explain why we have the cravings that we do in our souls. I mean, why would we crave intimacy? Why would we crave meaning? Why do we want to know our destinies? It doesn't explain poetry. It doesn't explain beauty. It doesn't explain so much of the human experience that makes it rich and lovely and wonderful. It explains biology to a point. But not what I feel. Not what you feel. Not what you know. Not what you intuitively know. That there's something more to me than just my DNA. There's something more to me than just my physicality. And so it, it almost seems that I, I recall as a, as, a, as a kid that uh, I was raised in a different Christian tradition. It was, it was Roman Catholic and you know, I, was, I, I loved my experience. And I was the altar boy. Uh, I, I wanted to be a priest. went to seminary to be a priest. Um, then I realized there was girls and that wasn't going to work. And... Uh, you know that, that, that thing people tell you for those, those books on personal wealth creating that, you know, whatever you think about the most, you know, is that, that's what you'll become? It's not true, because I would have been a girl in junior high school. I, I would have turned into a woman if that's, if that's the case. Cause... <laughs> Whistle, for those of you who didn't hear that in the podcast. And I, I walked away from that experience with, with some things that it, it colored a lot of what I understood about life. And, and, and one of the first things I, I, I got was that there, there was a God. That he was, there was this blazing white hot holy God. And the second thing I, I walked away from with that is that, is that I, I'm not him <laughs> at any level. And there's this complete otherness to the supreme being that I'm not. And, and in the midst of of my training in the midst of my desire, all I wanted was to connect to that God and I realized that I was not going to. With all the prayers, with all the novenas, with, with the clothing, with the masses. And by the way, I enjoyed it because at some level I thought I was moving towards that person. No, not so much. In fact, as I put more effort into that moment, into those into the ritual of it all, into the religion of it all, that I felt further and further away. And it was funny because I was driving towards him, I thought. And yet it seemed to be, you know, that elusive... Actually, you know what it seemed like? It seemed almost as if there was this person who was never happy, never satisfied. So I got the idea that God was this other. I just didn't get the rest of the story. But those were the glasses and the lenses that I walked away with. That was the filter that I walked away with. I find it funny that often we, um, uh, there's always these spiritual Christianized ways of not taking the blame or not taking responsibility. You know, it's always the, uh, how do you put this? Um, 
I know they mean well. I think I know what they mean, but, but it's, it's a, someone will tell you, I plan on doing this and this and this if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills it. Or I want to do this and this and that if the Lord wills it. And I think there's this fatalistic notion that somehow if it doesn't work, it wasn't my fault. I mean, how can you compete against God, right? But at some level, I, I also feel that, well, what if it, God's waiting on you to accomplish those dreams and those, those passions that you have? Often folks talk about, uh, you know, I, I'm praying about this, I'm praying about, I'll give you the classic one. People will ask about a job. Hey, what are you doing about that? I'm praying about it. Oh, awesome. Great. Um, we're just brainstorming here. No bad ideas. Uh, check the paper. I don't know. Did you fill out an application? When folks ask me about my, my day job, shameless plug for ATT, iPhone third generation, um, I, I handle corporate sales uh, for ATT. And, uh, uh, you know, I've been doing this since 1978, so, I mean, it's not like it's a new, it's not my first time to the rodeo. And uh, so, but, but it's not uncommon that I'll be praying about my clients and my job. And I don't pray and think, oh, God, I, I, help me close this deal and pray over, you know, you know and then sit there and wait. You know, I, I have to pick up the phone and call the client. I have to make the appointment. I have to drive out there. I have to present. I have to know what I'm talking about. But I also recognize that there's a part that God plays, but there's a part that I play and that you play in your life. And let me drive this home for you that you have the life that you have chosen to live. I have the life that I've chosen to live. Oh, you don't know what happened to me. I was, this happened as a child and this happened as an adult and the spouse that I was married to and the kids in the, the house. and the, the, oh, I get that, honestly. Nobody has control over their lives. Security and control are an illusion. Are an illusion. But it, it's almost, no, it's not almost. It's exactly like what uh, the Lord of the Rings, the Gandalf Christ figure in the story. Remember when Frodo was lamenting at the end of uh, the first installment, the ring? I wish that this didn't come to me. I wish it's not had happened. And, and, and then Gandalf replies, you know, it's, we don't get to decide the times and the events of our lives. We just get to decide what we're going to do with them. See, I, you can't decide who hurts you or doesn't hurt you. You can't decide the, the mistakes that happen. You, you know, you, you can't decide the parents you're going to have, the family that you're a part of. You can't decide the race you're going to be born, the country, the time. None of that. Nobody asked you. And let's face it, if they asked us, would you have chosen the life? You're, you're still not sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. All right, good for you. I, I would have chosen differently, I thought. Right? I'd have been wealthier. I would have been different. You know, wealthier parents, trust fund, trust fund kid, no shame. But if Acts 17 tells us anything, it, it tells us that, that God actually put us in this moment to maximize our opportunities to reach God, to reach Him, and to fulfill a powerful destiny. We still have those narratives. We believe in intimacy. We, we want to believe in beauty. We want to believe in romance. We want to believe in mystery and magic and love. And, and, and as I've said before on different occasions, I think all of those things tell us that without even saying His name, we want to believe in God. We want something more. But I also understand that in many cases, what's been presented as the story of God is repulsive. I recall on a radio show, I was doing an interview, um, they were asking about you know, 
Christianity, what defines church, and you know, how would you defend it? And I go, well, which Christianity are you talking about? I mean, the, the, the ones that, that owned slaves at one time or the, the, the ones that, that blocked the civil rights movements or, the, you know, the, the folks from the 80s and, and, you know, Reagan was in office, Dobson was in his, and everything was right with the world. I mean, which, which branch are you talking about? Or the one that, that Jesus wanted us to practice where we cared for each other and we were connected to God and in the end we wanted to imitate his life. We have a craving for that. And I think if there is a, a nightmarish moment in our lives is when we are fully awake and understand that we don't have any intimacy, that we don't seem to have a meaning, and we're completely unsure of our destiny. Because you wake up in the morning with that sense of sadness and grief and lethargy and it's spiritually in its orientation, in its source. Let me go back to the lens and the filter for just a moment. Hey, why don't you flash that Matthew 11, that Matthew 11:15 up there? This is Jesus talking, and I, it's funny when I first would, first would read these these stories that Jesus would talk about. He he would he would explain the spiritual realm, and then he would generally end the story with something like this. Go to the next one. Now, what's funny to me is that in all these cases, it's not that these folks who were watching him couldn't hear. He's not telling folks, step in a little closer, a little closer. I think he knew that at some level we developed those filters and those lenses. And we, we, we choose to process the information that affirms what we already believe. Not take any new information. Or the new information that comes in, we, we, we process it so that it fits the story that we already have in our head. That's better. See, Jesus came to these folks. There was not a significant voice of God, public voice of God, three, four hundred years. Jesus comes on the scene. The culture that is mixed with all sorts of people, Italians, Greeks, Wealthy Jews, very poor Jews, uh, mixtures of Jewish and other nationalities, Samaritans to the north, the Essenes, the ascetic monks, the, the different politics that were going on, those who didn't hold to their belief much at all, and everything else in between, and this hustling, bustling city that had right smack in the middle of this nation, an area called the Decapolis, that was a Greek-Roman influence of ten cities that almost cuts the nation in half. He walks into this moment and he understands that there's very little about God's story that they understand. They had their traditions and they had their ideas. They had their stories and their meta narratives. They had their lenses. They had their ears plugged with certain ways to hear things. And so as he re-explains actually with the reality of how spirituality really works and what the kingdom of God is truly like, Just remind them, look, listen to what I'm telling you. Don't don't just hear me here. Listen in almost a soul-to-soul way. Because we will have filters and lenses that we process the rest of the world over and over again. And so we choose sometimes not to really hear what is being said. Now, if I'm thinking about this further, then I guess one question I would have is, 
what if the filters and the, and, and the lenses that I have block out the most vital information that I need? How many of you remember those god-awful blue blockers? <laughs> $5, there was those yellow glasses, remember? Commercial, there was, yeah. <laughs> it was a hor okay, horrible yellow glasses and blue blockers and block out all the, and you know, they show you the commercial where the guy puts them, and there's just a haze, nothing. Puts them on crystal clear, you know, the whole party going on. And, and there's just no way, no way you could look cool wearing yellow sunglasses. It's just impossible. You have, it's like you're announcing, I have no game. <laughs> I don't want to be any doubt about this. I am not a candidate for any kind of relationship. <laughs> I'm wearing blue blockers. <laughs> it screams loneliness, you know, it was just a... If, if you had a pair, I'm sorry. Okay, I just realized, wait a minute, these people might have had a pair. I know it's going to happen, somebody's going to go in their car, Curse you, blue blockers. <laughs> Listen, it, you're going to raise your game several points. Just, just trash them, and then you're better off. See, and I, I think some of us would think, okay, I, I'm a smart person. There, there's no way that I would filter out important information. Maybe miscellaneous information, but not what's important, not what's vital. I don't have that kind of a filter, but that's the thing about filters and lenses. You don't even know that you have them. Do you think a fish ever thinks he's wet? No. I'm sure the fish is in wonder. If, if, you were, if you could talk to a fish, you know, if you could talk to a fish, how would you explain water and wet to a fish? It's the world he lives in. And that's how we are of our own filters and lenses. We don't even know that we have them on. And here's what's amazing to me, that every single time some of the disciples connected to, to Jesus and they... It's not that Jesus changed, it's that they had one more layer of filters and lenses taken off and they were always uncomfortable. Or he grew in their estimation from a rabbi that might point the way to a man that could actually alter the reality of the physical world they lived in, to a person that had control over the weather, to the one that, 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 that transforms in front of them on a mountain to the creator that dies for his creation, to the one who comes back from death. I mean, think of the stages that they were beginning to understand and process their rabbi and their teacher. If, if it's possible that we all have filters and lenses that we use to process the experiences in life, then it's also possible that we're wearing and have the wrong ones and we're missing sometimes the most important information. And that maybe that has everything to do with our destinies. And I don't mean destination. I mean the movement towards. You know, folks often want to ask, oh, you know, I hear that you're this guy at this church. You know, so oh, what do you think? What happens to a person when they die? I, oh, you stop breathing? I don't know what to tell you. Close your eyes. You know. And, and I, I know what they're asking. They, they want to put you in the corner. They want to, you know, they want to paint you as this kind of a horrible person, you know, that relishes the idea of, punishment or something and and, and I, I you know look i always ask them what happens if you continue to live i mean who are you becoming what are you leaving behind what's the what's the the the, the wake or the the 
the turbulence, pardon me? Legacy, there you go, thank you. This is a group effort, so you just shout it out if you need to. Let's all give her a hand, shall we? Thank you very much. Thank you for the assist. And so they, we, um, yeah, that's actually a better word. What is the legacy you're leaving behind? You know, what, you know what's painful? I'll tell you what's painful. Many of you are very kind. You'll, you'll have kind remarks, and some of you are not so kind remarks in emails. Actually, no, no, it, the remarks are usually kind in person. It's the ugly stuff that comes in emails. Um, but I tell you what's, what's, what's really uh, uh, risky and hard is, is to live with a spouse who knows you. I recall once I was sharing with my wife this blog I used to maintain, and it, 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 there was one article that had over 6,000 hits. And I, I woke my wife up, you know, it was, it was 2 in the morning. And I said, honey, come, come look at the computer. It's really important, you know. And then she walked over and I said, look, see, 6,000 plus. They get me. Without hesitation, she says, no, honey, they get your blog. I get you. But it's so true, you know. I, I realized that if I make her laugh, I was funny because she's heard the jokes. I mean, this is 30 years. This is not new material. But I have the same set. It's just different audiences. That's all. Same jokes, different audiences. My wife will sometimes mouth the punchline. That's how annoying. And the duck said, you know. <laughs> Really, honey? You're not helping me here. Throw me a bone. Yeah, no assist. Yeah, that's right. Why don't you be like this kind woman over here? Not... Not the mean woman you are. Ever drive to a location that you were eager to get to? You follow the directions? You're looking forward to arriving? Had friends? Told them about it? Let's go there. It's going to be good. Whatever it is. And when you get there, you find out, man, I don't want to be here. Why did I come here? Why did I bathe? I mean, I, I could have... A lot of effort went into a big disappointment. You know, I... I could have just hosed off and shown up, you know. Um, see, I think our lives can be that journey. See, it's not so much where you end up as much as what are you also becoming and the journey with it. Because see, you, you, there, there's, there's nobody that lives alone. I mean, even if you feel alone and you're, you're that single person. <laughs> Why is it that's so funny to me? Single people just can't wait to get married. And married people just like, I wish I was single again. <laughs> Not me, of course, but I'm just saying others I've heard. <laughs> and um, so it, it's, it's, you know, you, 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 who, who are you affecting? You, you, you never, never live your life alone. This is what's so incredible to me when I've, I've heard different folks talk about, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. No, that's an absolute lie. You never just hurt yourself. Listen, I, I, I've been at those places where at the end of a crime scene, somebody has to process the body, and no one ever dies alone. There's always an impact. Good lives, bad lives, lives lived mediocrely, there's always some impact. See, the thing is, is that we forget that we are living in two different time zones, two different time tenses, as it were, we are living right now, but we are actually affecting our future. And we don't even connect the dots. We, we, we just assume this future is this random thing that's just going to come at us versus us moving towards it and creating it as we go. 
we, we have habits, we have behaviors, we have relationships that we manage poorly, or whatever that might be, and, and, and then we assume or we're surprised at the future when we arrive at it. I'll give you a good example. A friend of mine, just, just this past week, okay, friend one, friend two. Friend one, just, you know, just a chronic history of, of just marital challenges. He's on his second marriage. Friend two, they're talking through the current situation. I'm friend three. I'll go by the name of Octavio. And um, so friend one and two are talking about it. Friend two is, is the guy that's listening, trying to help his friend one. And, and he, so he asks him, well, just to help him, it's like, do you, do you, do you understand where you got here? And, and so he, he asks the question, well, how do you think this happened? How do you think you got here? And friend one actually said about pause, I don't know. And I remember when, when friend two was telling me this, I thought, man, I don't know what's worse, the problem or the fact that he has no idea that he's part of the, that he's like a major part of the problem. You know why? It's his lenses. It's his filters. And see, please understand that, that you affect your future. You affect your future. And, and I have a theory. Random. Um, I think I understand why God doesn't, doesn't tell us everything. Here's my first guess. Because we would get lazy. You're going to be this, you know, world-changing artist and author, and you're going to have this music that ministry is going to do, and you're going to be this guy that, the, and, and you're, you're going to be a, a mom over here, and you're going to raise this. And oh, all right. And then we just, well, that's my future. See, if 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 following Christ is anything, it's it's not Buddhist. It's not fatalistic. We have an opportunity to live out whatever lives that God has breathed into us. This is where I think sometimes we, we advocate our responsibility because we, we were taught and we're told that, you know, God's plan is just this singular little path and, you know, you've got to stay on it like a tightrope and, and if you fall off it, well, then you've blown it. And No, I, I, that's, that's never in the scripture. What you get is not necessarily a map of permission to travel and to explore. You get a compass. You're, you're asked to change the, the passions that fuel your soul, the way that you view and value things. And if we could be ourselves 20, 30 years from now, look back, I, I, would, you know, I would love to hear what folks would tell, each, tell themselves. Dude, do not marry that person. Or <laughs> stay in school. You know, or whatever it might be. See, but here's what I've learned about life. If you choose not to pay the price to do what's right, you will pay later. But you are going to pay. Period. You can pay now, or you can pay later, but you're going to pay. You can work hard in your relationships. You can work hard at keeping your marriage exciting and fun. You can work hard at, at managing your wealth and your body and your life so that when you finish, as life goes on, you end well. Or you can choose to be sloppy and lazy and just think, oh, it just sort of happens. And nothing just sort of happens. <laughs> I started going to gym with a friend. There's got to be a pill for this, honestly. You know, there's, there's just some pill where you just you get the six-pack, you know, you just, you know, look good. Oh, wait, there is, but it's illegal. And then, uh, you know, is there something legal? Uh, you know, 
horse medicine, anything. I'm, I'm, I'm open. And, uh, and I realize that anybody that looks like they're in shape, it takes work. They have to get up and do it over and over again. They have to watch what they're eating. They have to, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and the funny thing is we know that for the physical realm, but we just think the soul care happens by accident. Or you can just kind of do it when you want and you're this terrific, wise, insightful, spiritual person that's fulfilled and happy, living their destiny, living out their dreams. There's powerful moments that have to happen. Let me share with you one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. It's uh, found in Isaiah chapter 6. So, is that up there? Oh, awesome. I say it here, shows up there. Isaiah chapter 6. Let me, um, let me give you some context first, though. Uh, Isaiah is a spokesperson for God. Some of the traditions, they call him a prophet. He's not predicting future. He's telling folks the future they're headed to if their life and their habits and their decisions are not changed. Or if they're doing well, it's, this is what's good. Uh, a very good king has passed away. And what I mean good is that he was a, a, a good man in terms of... Um, he was connected authentically in a healthy way to God. And he set the tone for the nation so that everyone generally would follow his lead. So if you had a, quote, a bad king, a king that, that, that didn't take God seriously, that also set the tone for the nation. That king, this good one, has just died. Isaiah has already had several years of speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. The king has died, and there's no guarantee that his son will be a good king. And so he steps into a temple, which actually, you know what? This is good. Uh, what do you say? This is, about, is this about 45 feet, 60 feet? Let's just say it is. So cut it off right about here, and you'd have the holy place and the holy of holies. The ark. You guys all saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, so you know what it looks like. All right, that joke didn't work. And um, thank you. The great one, two of you. Let's go to lunch, man, because obviously we're, we could be friends. <laughs> so, um, so he steps into the temple and he has this powerful moment. So let me, let me read the story to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And ab above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am a man. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then the seraphs, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongue from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Uh, how many would honestly say, and we're just among friends here, right? So 
I believe in love at first sight. I'm convinced of it. Really? Wow. Because uh, I do. I, I seriously mean that. I absolutely believe in love at first sight. I, I, it happened to me. Um, I was at a hospital uh, waiting to see this person for months, actually. I had been waiting to see him for months. And uh, I was, excuse me, I was there in the waiting room and, and they called my name. And, uh, and uh, wow, I'm, I'm, really, I'm almost experiencing it right now again. So they call my name and they bring out my son. And he's 10 minutes old. Uh, my wife had cesarean, so they were processing that whole surgery thing. And, and, and so they brought out David and uh, a stranger. I'd never seen him before. And what was, what was surprising to experience is the full impact of this wave of emotion that came over me. I mean, it, was, it, was, it caught me off guard. And uh, he started to cry, and I, and I was talking to him, and I, I did that, that thing where you talk to the woman's stomach, talk to the book, hello, is this your dad? You know, that whole thing. <laughs> Which Lily was okay with, as long as it wasn't in, in public, like at a fast food restaurant. Hello, we're going to get a burger now. I'm going to get it my way. And um, so, you know, they went to finish off what they had to do with him and all, and, and it was the first time... And they're not often, but it was the first time I began to kind of get a, an understanding of this incredible passion that God must have for us. You see, one of the titles that he chooses to use to help us understand him is the phrase, Father. See, if you're a dad, if you're a parent, you, you, you kind of feel this. For those of you who have nieces and nephews that perhaps, you know, you, you've known them since your brother or sister were carrying them and then you were like part of the story, you know, and then, and then they're born and then, you, you know, you feel so close to them. And, and then you, you, we all have those moments where we've sensed this. And, and, and then when Jesus tells us that as fathers, as human fathers, with all of our dysfunction, with all of our brokenness, with all of our calamity and that we bring into relationships, that if we can have this incredible passion for our children, how much more the Father in heaven? And then it clicked for me that for the first time since I was that young kid at, at, at church, in seminary, wanted to be a priest, that he's the heavenly Father. See, that's just not a theological nicety. That's a reality. I'm your Father in heaven. And probably the, the best way I've ever understood God's love for me was the love I have for my own kids. Now here's where it went a, a step further. There was never a time when my son hurt himself and <laughs> we took David to the hospital a lot. And, uh, he, because he just, he, he, no filters for fear. Just threw himself into everything, you know, which means he fell out of a lot of things trees, bikes, roofs, and, and uh, <laughs> it got to the point that we were being questioned, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I love my kid, it's just clumsy, you know, and uh, tell him, tell him you're clumsy, and, uh, but there was never a time that, that when an injury or a cut or some, something that he broke as a, as a, as a child, that, you know, like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. See, I, then where do we get this notion that this is how God views us? 
There's never this moment when because we, we have our brokenness or we have our weakness or we have that, that damage that God is like, oh, I can't believe you. Again? And this is why I say that really God's not the God of second chances. It's like third, four, five million chances, right? There's always a do-over. There's always a mulligan. There's always a, another opportunity to do the right thing and be the person that Jesus imagined and dreamed you could be when he bled out for us. And so restoration, as I've experienced it and seen it in the lives of people, is what I tell folks. And this is what I love about this story, is that Isaiah comes and in this moment of, of seeing the completely otherness of the God that he speaks on behalf, he cannot feel qualified to even speak on his behalf. Now here's what the part that you have to grab. At your, at your biggest shame, at your worst moment, at the area where you feel most disqualified to be part of the story of God, is exactly the place where God wishes to touch and restore. The that hot coal, whatever that thing was, whatever this moment was that he was happening, this is exactly where he went to and touched it and said, I'm taking away your guilt. I'm taking away your sin. We're done with this. And then I find the other part a little comical. So here's Isaiah having this powerful moment, right? And it's almost like God with the proverbial beard. Like, who should we send? I, I just, I want to tell people about who I am. I, who, who should I send? Any... Isaiah, do you have any ideas? See, this is what happens. You get to experience something very powerful about your destiny and who you are, and then God invites you into the story to share that with other people. So, we'll finish this off next Sunday. We'll take a quick recap of meaning and intimacy and destiny. So let me leave you with these questions. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? And if you answer those two questions, then the third one will be easy. What is your destiny? Now, if you can't answer those first two, the third one you don't know. And if there's one vital piece of information you need to have is, where am I going? Who am I becoming? What is my destiny? Hey, let me pray with you for, with a moment. I, 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 maybe a little awkward, but I want to take you into a moment of silence here so that you can ask those questions now before we leave, before, you, before you're going to get busy, lunch, Sunday, Monday, work. Maybe some of you have to work today. Just take a moment just to be quiet.
our Father in heaven. I thank you for touching my life the hand of kindness. So what I pray is for my friends here that you would also touch their lives. Let them experience your hand of kindness and restoration. At our greatest shame and our worst person, the worst part of us, touch it with your hand of kindness. Help us to experience your embrace, to live out our dreams, our destiny. We can experience you and then to tell others about the hope and the comfort that we have received. And I pray for the folks that are here, some that are just tired and need to be encouraged, that um, you would encourage them. Others that are goofing around and playing with fire, thinking that they'll not get burned and there'll be no consequences, that they'll understand the future that they're headed towards. And still for others, perhaps, who are processing and living well, that they would just hear your pleasure and sense it this morning. (laughs) So we thank you for being a God who loves us even before we're born. We thank you for your mercy and your beauty and the romance that you invite us into. So it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.